Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Welcome to our second week of Church at Its Worst. If you remember, I told you last week that we are going to go through the first few chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians in this this interim time between the beginning of the year and the start of Lent in mid-February. Because as I was looking and reading and coming up with, okay, how do I, what do I want to do for this time? I came across this quote I really liked where a guy said, do you feel that your church has more than its shares of problems and woes? Read the book of 1 Corinthians and put your problems in perspective. And I really like that word, perspective. I think I need perspective, you need perspective. So we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, a church that has way more problems than we do. Getting perspective. So last week, we went through and saw how Paul talks about God. That's the first thing we need to do is focus on God. So join me in the book, 1 Corinthians. We're going to move on into the problem part. We're going to start in verse 10 of chapter 1, and I'm going to read through to the end of verse 17. So read along with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I really like this passage. Not because of its theology. Actually, I find the theology kind of disturbing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I love what happens here and what you see it. So follow along the flow with me. Um, Remember we said last week that Paul's writing a letter, he's in the ancient world, and there's a formula for that. And he's following here in verse 10 that formula. So if you remember I told you that the first paragraph of an ancient letter should be about you, you should tell why people should listen to you, talk about yourself, your credentials, things like that. Paragraph two should be about the people you're writing to. You should speak nicely about them. You should find things to praise them. You're sort of buttering them up because, of course, you're asking them for something. And then in the third paragraph, you begin your appeal. This is the body of the letter. And the very first thing you state is what it is you want from them. So here's Paul's thesis statement, so to speak, his topic statement. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another. Paul is making an appeal for unity. That's what he says he's going to talk about it. It's like if you remember back when you had to write papers, the last sentence of your introductory paragraph, that should be your thesis statement. Well, this is Paul's thesis statement. This is what he's going to write about. So listen to what happens. He starts to say, okay, here's my thesis. I want to write about unity. Then he goes on in 11 and 12 to explain why. He's heard there are divisions. He's heard that people are kind of fracturing. There's infighting. And then in verse 13, he starts his argument. And he begins with some rhetorical questions. 
Was Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And the way he writes them, they're actually a little, a little stronger than what comes across in translation because they're, they're written so that you ha- you're supposed to respond with no, of course not. And so if I was doing like I've told you Jeff's more idiomatic translation, I would translate it something like, Christ isn't divided, is he? Uh, Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? You weren't baptized into the name of Paul, were you? And of course, the answer to all that is, no, no, of course not. And then Paul makes an aside. In verse 14, he makes sort of a side comment. It's not part of his argument. His argument begins with these rhetorical questions, and we'll see in a minute where it goes. But he makes this comment of, boy, I'm glad I did not baptize many of you, lest that caused more, even more divisions. And then it's as if there's a voice from off screen. Like if you think about the letter as as a a movie that we're watching, there's this voice that comes from off screen somewhere. Um, what about the house of Stephanus? Didn't we baptize them? You know, we know Paul's dictating the letter. His scribe, probably the guy Sosthenes, he mentions at the beginning. Maybe Sosthenes is talking. We know Paul had lots of people with him. When he traveled, he brought lots of folks. Maybe there's other people in the room. There's stuff going on. But something happens to where Paul is responding not to these guys, but to someone else. Well, yes, he says, I also baptized the households of Stephanus. And then he, what we translate beyond that, I don't remember. It, it, he's like closing down an argument. It's as if there's this discussion going on in the room where he's dictating this letter. He says, oh, I'm so glad I didn't baptize any of you except these two guys. And somebody says, well, wait a minute, what? What about Stephanus and, and his house? Didn't you baptize them? Yes, yes, I, yes I, I baptized the household of Stephanus. And then somebody else like, well, what about those two Macedonian guys? You remember those two Macedonian guys who became Christians? And we baptized them, didn't we? And someone else is like, yeah, well, what about that, the guy George? And, like, and Paul just like, okay, enough of all that. I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. You know, that's like the ultimate answer, right? Uh, Your Honor, I do not recall. <laughs> Paul's like, I don't know, because that's not the point, he says. The point is not baptism. Jesus didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach. Let me tell you about preaching. Now, notice what has just happened. Back in 13, he started an argument about unity. You need to be unified, he said. And now, here we are in verse 17, and he's not talking about that anymore. He's going to talk about preaching. He's going to talk about human wisdom. He's going to talk about why some people accept the word and some people don't. He has gotten sidetracked. Paul has lost his train of thought and it is gone for a long time. All the rest of chapter one, he will be talking about preaching and human wisdom and how the spirit works in people. All of chapter two, he will be talking about that. He is not going to come back to his old argument until the beginning of chapter three. In chapter three, verse four, he's going to say, well, one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. He's finally going to get back to his argument. There's this chapter and a half right at the beginning of his letter where he He's lost his way. He's gotten sidetracked. And he's not going to talk about what he started. He's going to go all the way around and come back to it. And this chapter and a half, like the end of chapter one, the, all of chapter two, it's so important. It's so important in scripture. We learn things in this chapter that, that we would be bereft if we didn't have them. And I just love that. You know, Peter, the Apostle Peter will say that Scripture comes about because the Holy Spirit carries men along. 
You have the Holy Spirit and men working together, and the Holy Spirit is moving people, but it's still the men. Like, we see that. You read Paul, you hear one guy's personality. You read James, you hear a totally different one, and yet it's the Spirit working in both of them. Now, that's so different from what most any other religion says about their scriptures. Every religion has scriptures, but generally they fall into one of two camps. Either the scriptures were dictated, so like the Quran. The Quran was dictated to Muhammad. He didn't write it. He wrote it down. An angel spoke it to him. So it's the very words of God. It's dictated to him. Or you've got things like Confucius. Confucius doesn't claim he's, he's got a God that, that, that's inspiring him. He's just a really wise, holy man, and he's writing good advice. Generally, you either have God dictating scripture or you have men writing things that they think are good. Christianity is the only religion I know of, and, and I don't know every scripture of every religion, so you know, don't call me on this if I'm totally wrong. It's the only one I know of that, that postulates this partnership, that God and man are working together, that the Holy Spirit is seeing that what he wants written is getting written but it's being written by a man in his voice with all the things that make up him a writer. And so it's like we're watching that happen in real time. Paul gets sidetracked, but he goes off and writes these really important things, these things that I am so glad we have in the Bible. And I wonder, did the Holy Spirit move Paul into this you know, side passage for a while because he wanted Paul to write about this? Or, or did Paul just go off and then the Spirit's like, oh, we can use it? I don't know. It doesn't say. But I so like that. You know, we see the providence of God happening right before our eyes, that Paul loses his train of thought, starts talking about something else, and yet what he talks about is so important, and he will eventually come back. So we're left with the question, well, what do we do with this passage? Because he starts an argument, he makes the rhetorical questions to begin it, but he never goes anywhere with it. So I'm like thinking as I'm working on this, I was thinking for a while, okay, maybe I should just do more verses and we'll kind of ignore these and come back to them when we get to chapter three. Or I thought for a while, okay, you know, maybe we should just pull them together. Like I'll, I'll read 10 through 13 and then I'll just pick right up in chapter three. You know, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then we'll jump down to three, five. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. Like it works perfectly. He, he gets around, picks up his argument, keeps going. But what I've ultimately decided to do is just to camp here at the beginning of what Paul says. I'm not going to get into his argument because he's hardly gotten into it at all. We'll pick that up in chapter three. Um, but I want to camp for a minute on Paul's thesis statement. Like, this is the thesis of his letter. This letter has 16 chapters in it. But this is the topic sentence. This is what he wants to write about. He wants to write about unity in the church. Now, if you were writing to a church that was incredibly messed up, would that be your thesis statement? I'm going to read you some of the things that Paul's going to talk about. I'm just going to read through chapter headings. There's a bunch of them in the book of Corinthians. These are all the issues and the problems that Paul is going to have to deal with right, as he goes along. So listen to all these things that Paul is going to write about. Dealing with a case of incest. Dealing with lawsuits among believers in the church. Dealing with sexual immorality. 
Questions concerning marriage. Questions concerning changing your status. Questions concerning singleness. Questions about food sacrifice to idols. Questions about Paul's authority to tell people what to do. Questions about freedom versus self-discipline. Warnings from Israel's history. Questions about idol feasts and the Lord's Supper. Questions about a believer's freedom. Questions about appropriate dress in worship. Correcting an abuse of the Lord's Supper. Questions concerning spiritual gifts. Unity and diversity in the body. Questions about love in the church. Questions about worship in the church. Questions about order in the church. Questions about the resurrection of Christ. Questions about the resurrection of the dead in general. Questions about the resurrection body. Questions about collecting money in the church. He's going to talk about all of that. Like, that's just the chapter headings. He's going to have paragraphs and paragraphs to say about all those things. If you were writing to a church where you had to talk about all those things, think about it. The first one is incest. He has to write to the church and tell them that in the church of Christ, incest is not okay. Several years ago, a well-known Christian pastor preached through 1 Corinthians, and he did it as if it were a reality TV show. He entitled it, Christians Gone Wild, because they have. The church at Corinth has gone nuts. Remember, I told you last week that Corinth is just the, uh, the excess capital of the ancient world. Whatever your vice is, you can find it in Corinth. Whatever you want, if you've got money, you can find it. There's a proverb in, the, in ancient Greece, hundreds of years before the time of Paul, like the time of Plato, um, that said, some men should never go to Corinth. And what it meant was that whatever your temptation, you will be confronted by it in Corinth. Unless you have really, really good self-control and a lot of accountability, some guys should never take a business trip to Corinth. Because whatever it is you struggle with, it's going to be in your face all the time. Like, that's what the city was like. And so, of course, the church is beginning to take on those characteristics. All these people who got saved in Corinth, like, they didn't suddenly become completely new. All their, their backgrounds didn't change. Their childhoods didn't change. The city around them, everything outside their houses, none of that changed. They're still confronted with these things all the time. The church is beginning to look like the city. And it's a city where anything goes. And the church is starting to act that way. It's becoming a church of anything goes. If you're writing to this church, I mean, I think I said last week, you know, it's some combination of the Las Vegas Strip and the red light district in New Orleans. If you're writing to this church to confront all of those problems, is your topic sentence, your thesis, the, the, the thing that you want to talk about that is overarching in everything else you're going to say, would that be an appeal to unity? Because I confess, it, it never would for me. That would not be my topic sentence. My topic sentence would not be, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, okay, because we're splitting this up and he's not, we're not giving him time to explain himself in chapter three, that sounds kind of creepy and cultish. Like He's going to go on and say, what do we need to say the same? We don't need to say the same about everything. We don't need to think the same about everything. We need to say the same things about 
Jesus. I mean, he kind of gives you a clue to what he's going to talk about in his questions. Is Christ divided? He's talking about Christ. The answer is, of course not. Was Paul crucified for you? Of course not. Christ was crucified for you. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, of course not. You were baptized in the name of Christ. Like, he's sort of foreshadowing. What we need to agree on is Christ. What we all need to say together is Jesus is Lord. We all need to say that we are saved through the death and resurrection of Christ. We were baptized into Christ. There's no other way to be saved but through the work of Christ. Those are the things that Paul is going to say we need to agree on. And those are the things, he says, that bind us together. Not any of all these myriad of other things. If I was writing to this church, that's never how I would begin You know, and once again, Scripture has pointed out to me that I'm a bad pastor. Like, this happened to me, if you remember, when we did Colossians last year. I was so struck by how Paul prays for the Colossians in their suffering. He doesn't really pray very much that their suffering would end and the Lord would get them out of it. What he prays is that they would suffer well, that they would endure well, that they would grow to become more like Christ through their suffering. And so I told you that that really convicted me. It's changed how I pray for you. You can ask the the staff when we're together every morning for prayer time. I still absolutely pray for God to heal you, for God to protect you, for God to remove your suffering. But I spend just as much time praying that you'll suffer well. I spend just as much time praying that you will endure, that you will grow, that, that you will become like Jesus through your suffering. That passage in Colossians changed how I pray for you. And this passage, it changes how I think about the church. Because I wouldn't prioritize unity. I wouldn't make unity the central, most important thing, the the topic thesis sentence. Everything else Paul is going to talk about, it's all flowing out of this appeal to unity. That's what he says. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. This is what he's going to talk about. And he will. When he talks about lawsuits in the church, he'll appeal to unity. When he talks about marriage, he'll appeal to unity. When he talks about Gifts in the church, he'll appeal to unity. He is going to bring up unity over and over and over again in this letter. It really is his topic sentence. And it wouldn't be mine. If I was writing this letter, like if I had planted this church and now we think he's like, it's three or four years later, you know, he's sent him a letter, they've sent him one back, he's had some visits, the things we talked about last week. If I'm writing to this church with all these problems going on and all these issues, you know, my thesis, my topic sentence to them uh, on a bad day is going to be something like, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you to stop it. You have got to stop this. Or on a good day, it would be something like, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you to live a life worthy of Christ. Please live like Jesus. It would never be. I appeal to you for unity. Paul thinks that what they need First is unity. They need to solve these issues and these problems, these other things that are dividing them. They are unified together by what they say about Jesus. They are unified together by salvation in Christ. And Paul says that's where they need to be focused. And and I confess I, I don't think that way. I don't think of that as being a foundational issue for solving problems. Now, Again, like I said last week, don't get me wrong. Paul's absolutely going to deal with problems. We don't end the letter here. Hey, let's all be unified and everything will be fine. He's going to absolutely deal with 
everything in this he, he talked about. All those headings, right? There are paragraphs and paragraphs after that. He's going to say to kick some people out of the church because of their behavior. He is absolutely going to deal with the problems. But he sees all of them because of the way he writes the letter, because of the forms letters take. He sees all of them as coming under this idea of unity. There's disunity in the church. There's, there's schisms. They're not united in what they say about Jesus. And all of these problems hang off that. The first thing he wants them to do, the thing that everything hangs on, is unity in the church. And I readily confess, like, I haven't thought that way. I haven't thought that way about us. I haven't thought that way about me. I haven't thought that way about our church. Because unity, unity's hard. You know, like we said, this church is taking on the aspects of the culture in the city around that. And our church has done that as well. Most American churches have done that. Uh, America is a hallmark of individualism. We make our own choices. Think about what's one of the very first flags before we even became a country. It's a snake saying, don't tread on me. You can't tell me what to do. That's a foundational hallmark of our culture is individualism. Every man is captain of his own ship. Every man is king of his own castle. Every man is master of his own fate. I decide for me. You can decide for you. I don't think about unity as being a foundational issue because unity is hard. And I don't prioritize it as an answer to so many of the issues that are going on around us. Like I said, I'm coming to this letter because of saying, oh yeah, we have all these problems in our church and in our world and in our culture and, and I need perspective. And this is a perspective I did not expect. That what Paul hits on first, what is most important to him, is unity. That they say the same things about Jesus. That they are united together in what they say about Christ. The other stuff isn't important, he'll say. And you're welcome to think it. But what matters is that we be unified in Christ. So let me ask you, let me challenge you with what I've been challenged with. Do you prioritize unity? Is that a priority for you? As a Christian, when you think about living your life for Christ, is one of the things, like way up there on the top, because Paul's putting it first on his list for this messed up church, up there at the top of that is the issue of unity. We need to be united. Because again, I'll admit, I've not thought that way, and I need to start to, because it's right here. It's right here in the scriptures. Are you prioritizing unity? You know, Paul Again, we're not going to get into his whole argument. We'll do all that when we get to chapter 3. But Paul's saying you've got this infighting because you're associating with different people. Oh, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. You're, 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 you're unifying on the wrong things. You have the whole church, and this part of the church is unifying on Paul, and this part of the church is unifying on Peter, and this part of the church is unifying on Apollos. And Paul says, no, that's not it. Your unity isn't any of those things. Your unity is Christ. We all say the same thing about Christ. We all acknowledge and admit that salvation is through Jesus alone. Do you prioritize unity when you think about living your life as a follower of Christ? Is unity with your brothers and sisters way up there? 
because I confess it's not for me. And honestly, looking at our church and the church in America, I don't think it's high on anybody's list. I think we're all really good at being Americans. We're all really good at saying, I decide for me. It's my decision. This is what I care about. This is how I am concerned. I will do me. You do you. I don't think about what does this look like for me to say what matters is we are united in what we say up here. Jesus is Lord. We're saved by Christ alone. Are all these other things true? Yes. But are we unified up here on Jesus? I fear in Christianity today, we often foster disunity. We often separate ourselves, just like what they're doing. They're separating themselves because they're talking about other things. Instead of talking about unity in Christ, they're talking about, oh, I'm of Paul. Paul's like this. Oh, I'm of Peter. Peter's like this. Oh, I'm of Christ because Christ is over here. And Paul says, no, it doesn't work like that. Jesus isn't divided up among these different people. It doesn't work like that. Are you prioritizing unity? Unity with your brothers and sisters. Not unity based on anything but Jesus. Because what I hear Paul is saying is that if you name the name of Christ, then I'm your brother, you're my brother or sister. We are unified together. It's okay if we don't agree on the other things. It's okay if we don't agree on who to vote for. It's okay if we don't agree on how to raise our children. It's okay if we don't agree on whether the coronavirus is really serious or or blown way out of proportion. It's okay if we don't agree on whether we should wear masks and social distance or not. Those things shouldn't pull us apart because our unity is that we all know we're saved by Christ. Are you prioritizing unity? So let me give you a challenge. What's one thing you could do to prioritize unity as a Christian? What's one thing you could do so that you're not separating yourself based on something else. Again, separating yourself based on politics, separating yourself based on child rearing, separating yourself based on your response to the pandemic. What's one thing you could do to prioritize unity in the body of Christ? Because Paul seems to think that that's so important. And let me throw in a bonus uh, question for you. If people looked at your social media feeds, would they say, oh, this person values unity? Or would they say, oh, this person is trying to divide? Paul thinks that that the start to all of these issues, and you heard me read all the things he's going to talk about, how varied they are. He thinks the start is in healing the divisions in the church because they have separated from each other over other issues rather than united together over Jesus What's one thing you could do starting now to prioritize unity? That's what I've been praying as I've been working on this sermon. I've been praying that God's spirit would speak to us, speak to you as you listen to me, that he would speak to you about one thing you could do moving forward as a Christian to prioritize unity, not to prioritize separation around some other issue, but to prioritize unity in the body around Jesus, Jesus who has saved us. So I'm going to pray for us that that the Spirit will speak to you about that, that that he'll make something clear. Like I said, I know this has convicted me 
as I have worked through it this past week. I hope, honestly, it's convicted you. That, that he, God has spoken to you about, oh, yeah, this is what I should be doing to prioritize unity in the body of Christ. So let me pray for us, and then we'll take communion together. Uh, Jesus, I, I, I confess, I apologize. I do not prioritize unity in the body. I, I, I just don't think of it as being that important. I, I give it lip service, but I would never make it the first thing in my list. If I was writing to this church, it would be way, way down in some second or, or even third tier category. I'm sorry, I don't value what you value. I pray that you will begin to work this into me, that, that I will value unity around you, not unity around any of the other things, but unity that we think the same things about you. We say the same things about you. Jesus, help me. Help my brothers and sisters. I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would speak to them, Holy Spirit. That as they are listening to me, watching this recording, that you are speaking to them about one way that they could prioritize unity in the body of Christ. Uh, Jesus, I pray this because I, I see it in your word. I pray it because we need it. You know that, that our culture right now is fragmented and shattered, and the church looks like the culture in many cases. We look fragmented and shattered. Show us how to be unified in you, even though we disagree on lots of other things. Show us how to be unified in you as our Savior and Lord, that, that we all say you, Jesus. You are Lord. Salvation is found in nowhere else. Thank you. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, always. Amen.